Welcome to Trouble Consultants, the life and times of the Dirty Pair, a podcast where we watch the anime adaptation of Haruka Takachiho's Dirty Pair franchise, episode by episode, from the perspective of a classic anime fan, a modern anime fan, and a rotating series of guests who have never seen Dirty Pair before in their lives, and we'll discuss our various reactions and things we've heard and assorted madness and whatnot. And speaking of madness, uh, my name is Aaron Mills. I will be one of your hosts throughout this journey into 80s sci-fi madness, as I said. And with me is my co-host, Liam Cunningham, a.k.a. Lack the Watcher. Hello, everybody. And our guest for this first episode is our friend Jake Hammerquist, who has never seen Dirty Pair before until we gave him his assignment to watch for this podcast. Hello, ladies and jerks. I will be playing the little hapless mook for the evening. <laughs> hapless moogie. Hapless moogie. Yes. Very good. Nice. Inside jokes for those who have never watched Dirty Pair before. Although, if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you have. Yeah. But, so, before we get started and uh, start with our first, um, with our first uh, foray in with uh, the Dirty Pair anime... Uh, let's talk a little bit about what Dirty Pair is, because this this franchise is not just anime. It is like gone across the entire spectrum of media. Um, so the original uh, Dirty Pair concept was written by Haruka Takachiho. I cannot. <laughs> Oh my god, oh, I cannot say the name. Anyway, Haruka Takachiho, who um, wrote them, wrote the original stories as a series of light novels. Now, I don't know what the difference is between a light novel and a regular novel in Japan. Liam, do you uh, have any insight on that, please? Yeah, uh, well, light novel, I, I, I've actually never read a light novel myself, but I do understand the basics of it. Essentially, a light novel works like a manga where it's a series of, of entries and volumes without like that, that come out in a series of like in, in the same way manga come out. Um, oftentimes they'll be like put together in, in one full volume and released that way. But essentially it works like a manga, but it's written like a novel. There's no like illustrations except for like starts of chapters. Okay. Like that. All so, right. As far as I know, the dirty pair did not have illustrations aside from the covers. Yeah, so. um, I I actually have uh, like one of the original Japanese light novels of the first one, and there is a, there's like a fold out section in the middle yeah. with a couple of illustrations as well as the cover. Dirty Pair was kind of one of the first like real light novels to take off. Yeah, like yeah. All right. Anyway, so thank you. <laughs> All right. So basically, this is a um, I think the easiest way to describe Dirty Pair would actually be kind of a sci-fi cop show kind of thing. That's really kind of where it all boils down a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, it originally came out as a series of light novels. The first one was published in 1980. I am looking at the Wikipedia entry while we do this. Um, actually won a couple of uh, science fiction awards over there in Japan. Then yep. the next one came out in 85. Uh, there was another one between somewhere between 1985 and 1987. Then in 92. Then again in 98. And then... Actually, this was, actually it's weird because there there's a moderately recent release. You know, there was a novel in 2004, a novel in 2006, and a novel in 2007. Which is all the novels to this point. And wasn't there one that just came out? Like, I, I have no idea if there if there is. I, I have no idea where I would find that. Like I said, I'm getting all this information from the Wikipedia entry. So okay, yeah. So there might be another one that has just come out. Who knows? I don't. I I certainly don't. Um. <laughs> yeah, Takachiho actually won a lot of sci-fi awards. Uh, I think he won some for Crusher Joe, too. So which was his previous series, uh, right? Which is sort of set in the same universe. Sort of, but not kind of, but not really. Um, yeah. But basically, even if it's not the same universe, they're very similar. Basically, it's set in a sci-fi universe where it's roughly, according to what I'm seeing, uh, roughly the years 2138 to 2143. And basically, by this point, humanity's discovered um, warp warp technology so they can travel to distant solar systems. They've, like, spread out everywhere. And they, like, inhabit, like, Three th over 3,000 planets across the galaxy. 
And while they all own, all have their own um, governments, they all, most of them are part of a larger UN-type organization called United Galactica. Now, along with that, um, there is a uh, an organization called the World Welfare Works Association, either the WWWA or the more accurate, more often said in the anime, 3WA, who basically is more or less a criminal investigation agency for hire. Um, basically, if a member of Planet of United Galactica have a problem, they contact the 3WA. The 3WA, if they take the case, uh, their central computer assigns various agents in there, which are called trouble consultants, which is why this podcast is called what it is. And then they send them out to investigate. The Dirty Pair are leads uh, Kay and Yuri. They have no last names. Those are the only names we ever know them by. Um, are trouble consultants for the 3WA. Now, originally in the light novels, early in the light novels and even early in the anime, um, it's revealed that Kay and Yuri do have some kind of form of clairvoyance, right. which is why the 3WA recruited them in the first place. They're both 19, by the way, in that wonderfully bizarre you know, way that the Japanese seem to think teenagers are well-equipped to handle this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, they have, like, a psychic communication, right? Mm -hmm. Something. They have, yeah. yeah, it's like, basically, they have to be touching each other, and most of the time it manifests itself in some form of precogni precognition. But And as far as I know, the light novels are actually told from Kay's perspective. Yeah, they are. Most of the, all the, all the light novels, at least as far as the translated into English ones, are all first-person perspective by Kay. So, you know, <laughs> which... just to, just to, just so everybody knows, I do know what I'm talking about. Yes, so. we do, we do, we do moderately. They do, Even they the... do, I don't. Well, you're not supposed to. That's why you're here. Obviously. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, side note: Crusher Joe is awesome, and you should watch that too. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, Seriously, I just watched the OVAs for Crusher Joe, and I was like, this is actually really good. <laughs> Like, I really like this. So. Cool. Anyway. Um, so, the, so these light novels were huge successes. Um, and then... But let's talk about the origins of the characters themselves. So, apparently Takachiho worked with um, Studio Nue, which mm -hmm. was a Japanese design studio. He, um, he practically founded it. Yeah, actually. pretty much. He was one of the. He was one of the. Uh, yeah, he was one of the founders. Um, let's see here. Uh, that's, by that's where Crusher Joe was made and, and um, Macross, uh, Space Battleship Yamoto, you know, um, Arcadia of My Youth, which of course is the you know one of the many origins of Captain Harlock. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good one though. I own it. It's yeah, fun. Arcadia of My Youth, another good one that you should watch. Yeah. But we're not talking about it. Maybe someday. But yeah. not today. But yeah. So um, yeah. So they, uh, they, they. He was a founder of that. And basically, apparently, um, the inspiration for Dirty Pair came when a uh, British Australian sci-fi author uh, named A. Bertram Chandler visited Japan, and he stopped at Studio Nui. I'm gonna totally mangle that completely. Um, Japanese is weird. I'm sorry, but it is. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, he took a tour, and two of the staffers, uh, who were in fact uh, Yuri Tanaka and Keiko Otogoro, uh, hit upon the idea uh, with uh, Takachio of taking him to a tournament of the All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling Organization, <laughs> which was a member of... The 3WA, or more accurately, the World Women's Wrestling Association. And basically, the fighting card included a very popular wrestling and singing team called the Beauty Pair. And something that happened during they while they were watching the match, like Chandler remarked to Takechiho something like, the two women in the ring may be the Beauty Pair, but those two with you ought to be called the Dirty Pair. And that's where the name came from, and that actually inspired uh, Takachiho to write this novel, you know. And that really uh, explains the aesthetics of the um, series as a whole, in all of its incarnations. You know, a lot of people uh, look at 
you know, stills from the Dirty Pair and whatnot and go, why the hell are they in bikinis? And the battle bikini... Because they're wrestlers. Yep. Yeah. The battle bikini, as it became known during my era of being heavily involved in anime fandom, yeah, that, um, basically, yeah, that that's why. They, they are based on female wrestlers. Yeah. And uh, what's weird is he even he, the thing is is that even though he dressed them in that Takachio even addresses that in addresses the outfits and how exposed they are in the novels because basically he says it's not just the bikinis they're also wearing like a micro layer special polymer that helps deflect damage and bullet impacts and shit like that which explains the amount of punishment they're able to take during the course of the series and emerge without a scratch <laughs> and admittedly i'm gonna get a little male gazy here but i i just want to say their personalities kind of fit their outfits yes yes they so, do yes they're, they're very they're very comfortable with their sexuality so their outfits do make sense <laughs> they yeah they are they don't care who stares at them They've yeah. used that. They've used that to their advantage. She, Kay, literally ripped open her shirt to uh, distract a guard once. Yeah, so. we'll we'll talk about that when we get to that particular episode. Yeah. Um, so, like a lot of things that became popular, um, there was a manga that was produced. Um, but for our purposes, the manga, which actually is finally after, yeah, there was a manga that was adapted of the first novel in right. 2010. Which is right. actually, from what I understand, and I think you told me this, Liam, that it is actually getting a release over here mm -hmm. at some point. Yes, uh, Seven Seas, I think, is releasing it. Oh, cool. So. Do we know when? Um, I think it's supposed to be later this year. Okay. So, But yeah, it's kind of a controversial adaptation because they kind of didn't make K as tan. But I, I, I like the designs of them in it. Is this uh, is know. this the one where they both look like they've got mammoth gonzo boobs? I'm sorry, yeah. I hate to, I hate to sound male gazy like that either, but yeah. if you see the artwork, and if you're on the YouTube version, you will see the artwork. I yeah. will put that on there so you can see because I was looking at that and I'm like, okay, that that you know that's just a little extreme, but yeah, okay. it is. But I got to admit, kinda, I like the designs of their outfits. Hmm. Actually, kind of hard, kind of hard not to notice. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just kind of interesting in the contrast between, you know, manga and anime art styles today and back in the 80s. Because really, if you look at the way Kei and Yuri look in the anime, it is actually more... They're actually more realistically proportioned. Yeah. You know, they're not, like, hourglass shape. They are thicker, you know, in the rib cage and in the hips. Yeah. And all that. And look more yeah. like, you know, actual women. But, well, that, you know... Right, yeah, right... People don't tend to realize this, but women were often treated better in the 80s in anime than they are in modern era. Yeah, honestly. yeah, that's Ain't the that thing. A sad irony. Yeah, if, if you look at like Bubblegum Crisis and Cobra and anime like that, you realize, wow, women were actually better treated back then. In anime I mean, than hell, look now. at anything. Honestly, let's look at anything. Um, shit, I just blanked on him. The, the creator of Captain Harlock and Galaxy Express 3.9 and all that. Oh, yeah. Leiji yeah. Matsumoto. That's right. Okay. Matsumoto, yeah. Yeah, Matsumoto, you know, basically, yeah, his women all look, you know, thin and willowy and whatnot, but character-wise, they also fared better. But, you know, oh, basically, yeah. Matsumoto, every character looks identical anyway. They're all long and <laughs> slim. And, and, and if, if, if the Matsumoto-verse existed, every, every man would be 10 feet tall, every woman would be 8 feet tall, except for the comical characters who would be, you know, four and a half feet. <laughs> and all cats are able to extend themselves to ridiculous lengths. Uh, anyway, but we're getting... But we're getting sidetracked. So, for the purposes of... Like we do. Anyway. So, like a lot of popular things, eventually, yes, it got an anime adaptation, which was produced by Sunrise, with Takahichiho's involvement. And um, what we're going to do is we're actually going to go through, um, with this podcast, we're going to go through each production episode by episode and um, talk about it, talk about each thing there. Now, I want to do this in chronological order, but apparently I actually screwed up a little bit, but that's okay because what we're going to discuss today actually came out during the run of the TV series. Um, I had originally thought that 
uh, what we're going to talk about today, the first OVA, uh, Dirty Pair Affair of Nolandia, or Affair on Nolandia, depending on which really? translation you want to go by. Um, I thought that actually came out like in 1984. But apparently what I'm looking at here, um, it was actually released in, on December 20th, 1985. And that was That's like... odd, but... Yeah, huh. especially if you look at the art style. I'm pretty sure whoever yeah. put that in Wikipedia, no, I don't think that's true. From the looks of it, this is much older, even because the character designs are not the same. Yeah, and all that. I am. I am reasonably. I am. One. I am reasonably certain that date is incorrect. I'm pretty sure Affair of Nolandia, of Nolandia came out. I thought first. it. Yeah, I thought Affair of Nolandia was like a test run. Yeah, that's what I thought too. It's kind of like a pilot for the TV series, honestly. Yeah. It's, that's why I was like, that's why they look so different. Mm -hmm. So. Well, honestly, yeah. they like their art style changed quite a bit over the course of the entire run, from Affair of Nolandia to the TV series, to the feature right. film Project Eden, to the OAV series. And then winding up with Flight 005 Conspiracy. And that's basically right. the order we're going to go in with uh, these podcasts. We're going to start today by talking about Affair of Nolandia. Then we're going to go into episode by episode of the TV series. Then we'll be covering um, Project Eden, which was the only theatrical released uh, Dirty Pair film. And then we'll go into the 10-episode OVA series. And then we'll finish everything up with Flight 005 Conspiracy. Which was the final Dirty Pair anime ever produced. I will not hear any anything you've heard otherwise about some series having been done in the 90s. No, it's all lies. It's the Mandela Effect. It does not exist. There is no Dirty Pair series that, you know, made things horrible and awful and nobody wants to talk about. Not at all. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get slander. Hopefully we'll get something next year because it's the 40th anniversary. Hopefully. So. No, but in all seriousness, yes, there was another OAV series called Dirty Pair Flash, which was basically a reboot of the whole thing, and it is awful. Um, even by, by most people's standards, even those who like 90s anime, they've seen it and go, God, that sucked. <laughs> we might talk about it. I don't know. If we do, we are not going to waste the, we're not going to waste, you know, 16 episodes of the podcast going episode by episode because I it would just be we might we might not I have it so if we want to do it we can yeah we'll oh. we'll burn that bridge when we come to it yeah. <laughs> all right so and now uh getting back to the actual universe in there so Kay and Yuri are uh trouble consultants for 3WA in the future they fly around the galaxy um Depending on which series you have, they have two, one or possibly two companions with them. The first one is Mugi, who is a genetically engineered cat thing yeah. um, that is super intelligent, can't actually communicate with voice, but is super intelligent, can actually fly their ship, usually handles all the repairs, and all that stuff. And it's kind of interesting because if you look at the um, artwork... For the novels, Moogie's basically a panther with tentacles, more or less. Moogie's design yeah. in the in the light novels is awesome. Yeah, like I wish they would use his design in the in the light novels, but yeah, no, we get big, fluffy, furry cat claw type thing. <laughs> yes, we get giant cat. Yep, pretty much. Um, they also occasionally, at least in Affair of Nolandia in the TV series, have a robot companion called Nanmo, who is totally not an R2-D2 ripoff, not at all. Um, <laughs> who, you know, who also works with them. Not Nanmo doesn't have much personality, and basically by the time Project Eden and the second OAVs roll around, he, the robot is more or less gone. So, anyway. They literally, they literally scrapped him. Yep. Anyway, um, so the Dirty Pair's co official codename within the 3WA are the Lovely Angels, but they get called the Dirty Pair because no matter what they do, every case they're on usually ends up with some form of mass destruction. Fucking some shit up. Pretty much. And the thing is, is that most of the time, it's not their fault. They just yeah. have really bad luck. Um, or things get out of hand. but And this is why they haven't been fired, because the central computer at the 3WA always clears them of any wrongdoing. Much to the chagrin of Chief Ghoulie, who pretty much is, you know, 
pretty much, again, is almost, you know, is like one ulcer away from being every 80s cop chief and lieutenant. (laughs) But Gooley loves them. That's the whole point. Yeah. He'd die for those two. He would. Um, There are also other supporting characters, especially in the TV series, where we spend a lot more time on the 3WA's um, headquarters planet. But we'll talk about that another time. So let's get into Affair of Nolandia, which is, you know... A very awkward title. I don't know why neither... Affair, uh, Affair of Nolandia has actually been released three times over here in the United States. Uh, the first time was in the late to early, late 80s to early 90s by now infamous Streamline Pictures and Carl Masick. And, um, which is fun because it's actually one of the earliest roles of a veteran in the anime voice acting industry right now. Wendy Lee was originally the, uh, American voice, the English voice for Yuri. Right. Um. Also, don't hate on Streamline. They're awesome. Yeah. Here's the thing. You know what? We can bit back in the day, it was always a thing to bitch on Streamline because they took, they did take liberties with their translations, but the general essence of what was going on was there. And unlike, say, the ADV Films version dub of the same material, their actors were, you know, acting. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas the ADV Films dub, at least to my opinion, was very flat and boring. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? It's like, there's no life to this reading. (laughs) Even though ADV usually had a much more accurately translated script. But the general gist of both of them were there. Streamline just occasionally the way they did things, some things just made no sense and you just kind of had to go, okay. <laughs> so, anyway. Punch Man meme here. Yep. So, Affair Nolandia, Affair of Nolandia, or Affair on Nolandia, the article changes depending on the translation. And I don't know why neither. Streamline or ADV just didn't change it to the much more punchy sounding title of the Nolandia Affair. You know? Yeah. I don't know why they did that. Probably because Affair of Nolandia is what shows up on the screen during the opening credits. So let's uh, go ahead and move into talking about Affair, uh, Affair of Nolandia. So, first things first, before we get into the actual nitty-gritty details of the plot, let's just get some first impressions. So, uh, Jake, having never seen anything pertaining to Dirty Bear before, uh, what was your opinion of Affair of Nolandia? Well, I didn't. I honestly didn't know what I was getting into with this, at least at first. Like, I can I guess I kind of did expect some wanton destruction and that and that kind of thing. And I know I got that toward the end of the thing, but I was just I was just very much surprised with how it started. It almost felt like. It almost felt like noir in there with how yeah. it began with the set with the plot set up, and I kind of thought like, like, I kind of, I, I guess I didn't, I guess it would be unreasonable to think it would, it would, it would carry that tone sort of throughout because this is, this is obviously not what this series is about. It's about sci-fi spectacle and all that good shit. But you know, for the, like for the first two acts, it was quite reserved aside from some of the mind fuckery of the middle act. But yeah, I got like it was a real roller coaster ride. This thing. All right, and uh, Liam, what's your opinion on? Well, here's here's the funny thing. Um, I actually watched Affair of Nolandia after I finished the TV anime, so my actual first experience with Dirty Pair was the TV anime. And coming to Affair of Nolandia, I was like, you kind of almost need to watch the TV anime before you watch Affair of Nolandia because they're so much more mature in this than they are in the TV anime. Like, every, everything's kind of a little bit darker in Affair of Nolandia than it is ever in the TV anime. And it's it was really interesting to watch that. And I watched it with the Streamline dub. So, and the one thing about Streamline is they took everything seriously. You can't, you can't take that away from them. They took everything seriously. And they, um, and I just... I'm trying to remember this as best as I can, but it it was interesting to me how much darker the whole thing was compared to the TV anime. And I guess because it's an OVA, that makes sense. Um, yeah, because you can take a few, you can take a few more risks with an OVA than you can with a TV anime. Yeah, and really, that's just kind of an interesting thing for it because Flight 005 Conspiracy, which we'll get into at the end of this series, 
Um, and I don't want to spoil anything too bad, but that's also a fairly dark story with some of the stuff that happens in there. Even darker than Affair in Alandia, I would add, I would argue. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. that's kind of my thoughts. Is is just like it's funny to watch. It's funny to watch Affair in Alandia after the TV anime because you you've got this element of things have kind of matured from the TV anime. So yeah. it's 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 funny to watch it in this order where you watch a fair millennia first and then watch the TV anime because it's it's a little more jarring that way. Yeah. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, the way this works, even f for someone like me who basically was around when Streamline first released um, a fair millennia back in the dark times, <laughs> back when we were using VHS, and I actually got it from my local Blockbuster video. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe Blockbuster was actually holding it. But I'm sorry, what was that, Liam? I can't believe Blockbuster was even holding it, actually. Yeah, they were. That was like that was like where I got a good chunk of my anime when I first got into it. I got I first got into it. I would like alright, I grew up with um with a lot of the ubiquitous, you know, uh dubbed and heavily edited for kids animes. Like I grew up with Battle of the Planets and the original Voltron. And stuff like that. And yes, even during my childhood, Robotech was getting aired. You know, again, sure. hi Carl Masick and Harmony Gold and all that. But I never really yeah. paid attention that much because I was young and continuity didn't really bother me all that much. And that, and that was why I never got into Robotech because Robotech is very continuity heavy. Since right. it is basically a serial. And um, so I never really got into Robotech, but I was familiar with it. And then when I was in high school, I met some, I made some friends in my create in a creative writing class I was taking, and they had um, like the videotapes of the Invid Invasion section of Robotech, and I borrowed them from there. And I started watching like the first couple of ep like the first five or six episodes, and I was like, oh okay, I get it now. All right. This is cool. And so then I was at a blockbuster and found they had an anime section, and that's kind of where I got into anime full full core until I burned out just after I got out of college um, and then came back to it just a few years ago. So that's where I got a lot of it, and that was where I got Dirty Pair. Now, I had heard... I don't know where I heard it from, but I had heard of Dirty Pair somewhere in some tangential thing. I don't know where exactly. I don't know if, you know, I had picked up an issue of Ann-America somewhere. Yeah, that really dates it. Ann-America used to have a <laughs> used to be a magazine, kids. Back in the olden times. Eh, it's easy to find scans. It's not that foreign to us youngsters. So. Oh, really? Let me make it. Let me tell you something. Let me let me let me just sidetrack here for a minute. I want to point out that my first anime convention was Anime Expo 96. Shit. Back then, it was nowhere near the monster it is today. It's pretty. It's pretty appropriate that uh, you would bring that up, considering it just happened. Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> but yeah, it is nowhere. It was nowhere near the monster. It was still being held in the convention center, but you know, it wasn't taking up huge hallways yeah, or anything it, like that. I mean, basically, it was horrifically overly crowded, like it was this year. It wasn't ridiculous. So. It was not like as, It wasn't like Comic Con huge as it has become. You know, it had yeah. only been around for five years at that point. And, you know, but that was actually kind of cool because there was a couple of landmark things at that particular thing. That was the um, American premiere of Ghost in the Shell. Was Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I managed to watch some of it. I had to leave halfway through because I had to go catch my flight home. But there was also the, uh, of, um, the that was also the premiere of Tenchi Muyo in Love. Huh. So mm. that, that came out as well, the Tenchi movie. So, which I wasn't into Tenchi at that time, so I didn't really bother with that. But that was like their big announce, their big get for talk anime. about talk about a tonal shift though, going from Tenchi Muyo and Love to Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so somehow, some way, I had heard of Dirty Pair and the basic concept, and then when I saw the Affair of Milan, I was like, "Oh, I've heard of this. This look, let's try this. This looks interesting." So I watched it, and this was the streamlined dub, and. Yeah, I was like, okay, this is exactly my kind of jam. Goofy sci-fi space action comedy. That I, I, I'm into that. 
it's and it's it was really cool and i enjoyed the, the i enjoyed it immensely and you know it's not until i've actually gotten older and gone back and watched some of this i realized shit gets occasionally very very dark in this series yeah. if you well, think that, that, if you think about the implications of what you see on screen that's a lot of Takachiho's writing, honestly. Mm-hmm. He loves to, like, blindside you with dark stuff in his goofy, fun sci-fi adventures. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a lot of that happens in Crusher Joe, too. Yeah. Honestly. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, what was my point? I lost my point. I lost my train of thought! Damn it! Anime Anime Expo is overcrowded. That was my point. <laughs> that was my uh, point. <laughs> I was just about to say, did you point? Did you point? Probably where he should get it. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, so oh, I remember what I was going. What my point was. Okay, so for the longest time, for those who don't know, for the longest time, um, the only anime of Dirty Pair that ever got released over here was through Streamline, and it was Affair of Nalandia, Flight 005 Conspiracy, and Project Eden. That was it. That was the only thing. There was the TV series, but nobody knew about it. The right. weird thing is, is that for a brief time, Viz um, actually released movie comics of episodes of the TV series. You know, where they basically take frames from the anime, where they took frames from the series and slapped some word balloons on top of it. You know, and I actually have right. still have some of those in storage somewhere. Um, that that has a lot to do with Streamline's like business practices. Not that I'm saying that it was a bad business practice, but Streamline didn't like doing TV shows. They only liked doing movies. Well, back then, well, and that's because back then the the, the rate of return was not. There was no guarantee you were going to be able. Yeah. You would pay the license for that, and especially as I've often said to you, most of you youngsters don't know how good you have it as far as anime <laughs> releases go. I mean, seriously. I, back in the day, you know, fine. I'm going to go into old man rants at Cloud here for a minute. Uh, <laughs> God damn it, get away from the Shinra building, you pointy-haired freak. Anyway, um, <laughs> no. Um, basically, back in the day, if you got somebody who was carrying an, OA, OAV, an ongoing OVA series or a TV series, you would basically get, at most, if you were lucky, two episodes on a tape. And those would cost you about upwards of fifty bucks a pop. It was ridiculous. So that so from a from a distributed from a you know dubbing companies and releasing perspective, I can get why Streamline wouldn't do that. Yeah, it's it also, was it was a new market. Also, Anaplex of America has entered the server. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so for the longest time, those three were the only things that were available. Then. Uh, around about the time of DVDs becoming the thing, ADV, Streamline obviously went out of business in the, like, just after they released Flight 005 Conspiracy. So the early 90s. So the early 90s. And then in the late 90s, um, ADV Films picked up the rights. And they brought, they grabbed up, you know, they grabbed up Affair of Nalandia and Project Eden and, um, and Flight 005. And they re-released those with um, in subtitles with their own dubs. But to their credit, they also included the Streamline dub for those who had grown up with that one and actually preferred that one. So credit to them where, where credit's due. They also managed to pick up what is known as Dirty Pair Part 2, um, which is a 10-episode OVA series. So they released that, but nobody had ever gotten the rights to the actual original TV series, 26-episode TV series, until the most recent re-release when Nozomi Entertainment picked up the rights to everything and released it. But they didn't bother with a dub for any of it. They just recycled the streamlined and ADV dubs and then just released the TV series as a subtitle only. They, they don't have. They didn't have the money for it. No, they didn't because they they were a fairly new company at the time, as yeah. I understand. So, but um, now they they're teaming up with Funimation, which is a good sign of things. So yeah. we'll see what comes out of that. Yep, that'll so. be cool. Um, anyway, so and apparently, uh, it was offered. Somebody offered to dub to produce a dub for Nozomi, but they turned him down because probably they didn't have the money. Right. That's a shame, though, honestly. But yeah, like I understand why. Yep. So cheaper to release, cheaper to do a to do a sub than a dub. Yeah. Cheaper just hire somebody to translate and 
do it that way. So in 2012, they basically released everything. So, you know, so basically you're like a rarity in, in that. Liam, because, you know, almost anybody who's seen it has seen Affair of Nolandia before they saw the TV series. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure. Well, again, my generation's kind of blessed that way, where we have that option. Yep. So, and I understand that. I just, um, Hulu had the TV series, and I wanted to start there. So that's why I watched that first. Well, why wouldn't so, you? It's not yeah. saying that it's bad. You can watch it. The great thing about older anime like The Dirty Pair is that it is not continuity heavy. Yeah. There, there is no ongoing arc. Each individual episode, each individual OVA, each in the movie, they all have their own self-contained plots, and they rarely, if ever, make reference to anything that has come before it. Right. So this is why you know a lot of people are like you know it's like you. This is why I sometimes think that older anime is probably a better gateway to it than current stuff. You know, because you're not coming yeah. in in the middle of a story and you don't know what the hell's going on. You know, again, that's gotten easier these days with streaming and everything and the binge watching yeah. model coming into vogue. But yeah, one one piece would have never been able to be done back in your day. No, so. no, no, never. No. It never would have made it. All right, um, one piece, which will never actually end. No, I'm won't. pretty sure it won't. Oh. Udo will die before it ends. Yeah, so. pretty much. And just a lot of them. It's like, I, I was just amazed. Like, for example, I I got I was like, oh, well, let's see. I want to get in uh, Case Closed or Detective Conan, as it's called. I'm like, oh, this looks kind of interesting. This is kind of in my bag. What do you mean there's over 800 <laughs> episodes? Fucking right. <laughs> what do you mean there's over 800 episodes and I can't see all of them? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Anyway, back on track. Yeah. Anyway, regardless. So, let's get into um, Affair of Nolandia. So, the film, the OVA opens with this psychic child called Missini Mis- Mis- or Misuni or how, which, depending on which version you're watching. Um, for reference, so that we're all on the same page, um, all three of us will be working from the subversion. Why do we work from the subversion? Because Nozomi has actually done something very cool. Just about everything of Dirty Pair that they have is available on their official YouTube channel. We will put, I will put links in descriptions and doobly-doos and stuff like that when we, uh, when this goes live. Um... So, it opens up with an unseen man encouraging Missini to use her powers, which she uses to cause a plane crash. Um, you know, plane. I use plane. This thing, you know, it's the future. So, it's like, it's the future, and it's the future as seen through a 1980s filter. So, it's the most impractically designed aircraft of all time. Uh um, there's a doctor on the on the flight who basically this apparently was an assassination attempt to kill him. So the whole plane blows up, and Kay and Yuri are sent to investigate the crash on the planet uh, on the. Uh, now Nolandia is not the name of the planet. I don't. I ooh God, I don't remember what the actual what the actual planet uh, name was, but. Either you know, way. it's it's funny. I'm looking at um I'm looking at the OVA right now, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. It, you could tell that Studio New did this because it looks so much like Macross. Yeah, but you like, know, a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, sci-fi anime in the '80s took their cues from Macross. And to be honest, I kind of miss that look, that yeah, '80s no, anime too. sci-fi look with the gorgeous backgrounds and the interesting tech designs and all that stuff. You know. I mean, yeah, it's become easier to animate with computers these days, but I just can't help but feel like we kind of lost something in the process, in animation in general. Yeah, you I mean, know. just look at the Big O. Mm. Big O is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so, uh, and if you guys want to say anything, please jump in at some point so I'm not talking <laughs> through the whole thing here. Um, I got you. So anyway, Kay and Yuri go in, and this is the only time they look at it and they realize that something's up because the pilot started screaming that the ground was moving or doing something weird in there. So the basic implication is that Missini 
projected some sort of psychic illusion that made the pilot panic, which caused the crash. And um, this this is interesting because Affair of Melandia is the only time in the anime that Kei and Yuri's psychic, own psychic abilities actually come into play. And even then, it's only briefly right here in this opening, cold open sequence beforehand. You know, they get kind of this psychic precognition of what's going on, but not really. You know, it's like most psychic precognitions. There's no context. You're not entirely sure what the <laughs> hell you're seeing. And it only makes sense yeah. later when it's in there. And um, so they fly to the planet. Now, the planet itself is, like, almost entirely inhospitable to human life. It's like almost like a gas giant, although there is a rocky surface beneath it. And there's only, like, two inhabitable sections of the entire planet on each hemisphere. One is this plateau that extends above the gas clouds, which is where the city is built and everybody lives. And the other is apparently this jungle, which they call the jungles of Nolandia, which the jungle is at least Nolandia. I, like I said, I can't remember for certain if the planet is called Nolandia or not. And so the thing is, is that... Um, Kay and Yuri arrive, and they try to meet the client who hired the 3WA in the first place when Missini went missing, a woman named Connie Brighton. Well, before um, Kay and Yuri get there, big hulking dude, you know, in the way of big hulking dudes in anime everywhere, basically... This major Metallotron-looking motherfucker. Yeah, basically beats the shit out of Connie and kills her before Kay and Yuri can show up. And then no sooner do they investigate than the head of security, a woman named Samara, wants to talk to him. And basically we find out that the entire city is actually not an actual government per se. It is a corporate-owned It is a corporate owned city by a company called AJ Development. Which immediately, if you're familiar with this type of the tropes of the noir genre, should immediately be raising some flags. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm watching this and, and I'm just like... It's funny to me that it didn't, like, weird me out when I first watched this. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> the scene when they psychically link, I, I don't know why that didn't, like, register me the first time I watched this. I was just like, I, I guess I just didn't notice it. But looking at it now, I'm like, how did this not, like, make me go, what? <laughs> because, because, because by that point, it was probably like, because anime. Yeah. Because let's face I, it, by this point, there is weirder shit in modern anime. Maybe I just thought that maybe it was the girl doing it. Like maybe. she was sending them a vision or something. I don't know. And an interesting so. thing, that's kind of what the streamlined dub kind of implies. It's like yeah. how they kind of get around that, is they kind of seem to imply that she sent it to them. But again, it's not really clear. Yeah. Um. So... They talk to Samara, and Samara, who seems to want them to leave, for reasons I cannot specifically fathom, just gives them information on where Missini is gone, which is to the Nalandia jungle. So, basically, you want them to leave, but you're going to tell them exactly where they need to go to solve their case. I don't know if that's just so they can solve it and get off the planet or what, but it's just kind of a little weird, even given what we find out later. So it's like, I imagine that she's like, "Look, I don't want to tell you this, but I gotta jumpstart the plot somehow." <laughs> so they fly over to Nolandia, and no sooner they get there, Missy is hiding out in the jungle, and she sends them another, another illusion, which causes them to panic. Uh, Kay shoots a hole in a mountain so the ship can fly through. <laughs> they <laughs> literally do. Can I get to some Looney Tunes level bullshit? Uh huh. I mean, to their credit, as soon as they fly through, the mountain collapses due to structural dis due to structural uh, that, integrity. That guy's design was clearly meant to be a reference to Joe. I just I just saw a character in the video, and I'm like, oh, that's clearly meant to be Joe. Yeah, that that happens all the time, especially in the Crusher Joe anime, which uh, which got produced after the Dirty Pair novels have been started. There's like a sequence where they're like at a drive-in, and Kay and Yuri are up there yeah. on the screen. It's yeah, the film is Dirty Pair. So mm -hmm. well, let that be a sign of things to come. Mm -hmm. So, Kay and Yuri crash land in the jungle. They can't fix anything. They can't fix the ship, their ship. So, they're kind of stuck there for a few days. And welcome they discover... The what? I said, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> we got fun at games. Actually, we do later, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
as they explore the jungle, they discover that it is full of all these weird animals and creatures. They find a fucking unicorn. It's Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> it's legend. It's legend by way of Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say, freaking the last unicorn up in here. <laughs> um, but it's weird well, the because... The unicorn is anime. Yeah, it is, technically. Yeah. Uh, Liam, do you want to take this from here? <laughs> Uh, first thing I want to say is, good lord, what is going on with Kay's neck in the shot? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm just refreshing myself through uh, watching it a little bit while you're talking. And um, I just like how professional they are in this. Like, it's really nice to see them be, like, professional, like, investigative, like, you know... I, I, I mean, you know, consultants, I guess. Trouble consultants. And... I just really, really uh, like that. Like, I like how when the, the inve investigation has started, Kay just shows her uh, shows her card to the guy like she's a cop. And I'm like, I love that. I want to see more of that dirty pair. That's really cool. You know, it, it treats them like they're cops. Yeah. So, And that happens depending on who's writing the various... Yeah. The various episodes. There's some days where they're like that, and there's others where people think, where, you know, it's like the writer clearly thinks they're just a couple of bimbos with blasters. Um, right. But they're not. That's the thing. It's like, you know, forget how they look, and yes, they'll bicker and argue in the same way because it's a fucking buddy cop series. Pretty exactly, much. Yeah. You know, they bicker, they argue, they do all this shit. You know, they have their moments of silly, but they do get the job done. So... Anyway, so, um, after checking out this place, uh, they discover that basically the entire jungle is full of things that scientifically should not be able to exist. They're all, the whole thing is like one big massive genetic experiment due to a bunch of stuff about molecules with right hand and left hand twists. And we're not going to get into that because odds are this is outdated science anyway that was probably <laughs> rendered bullshit by this point, <laughs> like a lot of it. You know. Genesis? What's Genesis? <laughs> Takachiyo was a big Star Trek fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, shit. The, there's a calendar. There's a there's a dirty pair calendar which just has Kay and Yuri in various, you know, shots of American movies. So it's like Beverly Hills Cop and Top Gun and, yeah. you know. And I know that the last one is apparently them and Takachiyo, ba them bashing... Takachiho or somebody over the head with a model of the Enterprise. So. <laughs> <laughs> Takachiho loves strong women. Mm -hmm. Well, he's still alive, so I shouldn't talk her like he's dead. So, basically, they're camping out there, and then their first night there, like, this team in armor shows up and just basically starts fucking slaughtering everything in the forest. It's surprisingly dark and violent. And then you see the results yes. the next day, and Kay's just appalled. That's just the way it is. And then the mind fuckery begins. Indeed. Jake, please tell us about your reactions to the mind fuckery. Well, first off, they were naked for reasons. Anyway, they were. Anyway, they just suddenly get attacked by this tentacle monster, and I'm like, oh shit! Oh so god, it's, I it's, forgot it's about going there that. now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, this escalated quickly. And then basically it's just this bizarre series of K constantly waking up. It's like it starts off with a dream sequence of K getting molested by this blob thing. Don't worry, it's not that kind of thing. There's nakedness, but it's really not interesting. All the nudity in this is not really sexual in nature. It's not even no. it's no. not even all that fan servicey, really. This, this is probably the least fan servicey dirty pair entry, actually. Yeah. So. Kay has this nightmare. She wakes up and goes through all that. They go out the next day, they find the slaughtered stuff, and then things get weird. Like Yuri start Yuri faints and then the animals start attacking him and Kay flies back to the ship and the ship is covered in locusts. And <laughs> Cats and dogs living together! <laughs> Massacre! <laughs> you know, and then she crashes, and then suddenly she wakes up and she's back at 3WA headquarters, and the chief is telling her that it's fine, that they rescued him, she's been out for three days. She asks about Yuri, he looks, glances over the next table, and there's Yuri, not really being molested by tentacles, <laughs> but 
just kind of there on a table. Your it's... honor, your honor, no. Sir, I'm about to ask you to leave this Arby's. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they were going for with that or what it was, but basically, yeah. So then Kay wakes up, and it's almost an exact replay of when she woke up from her nightmare the, the previous day. And then Kay's like, no, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. Things freak out. It goes all predator vision. And then she wakes up for real, although she's naturally completely suspicious. It's just grabbing Yuri. Are you her? Are you really you? <laughs> this thing has more red herrings than in Lord of the Rings. Yep. Um, is Moogie in this? Yes, Moogie is in this, but he's largely on the ship for the most part. Okay, because I, I feel like I might have missed him. No, he's there. He just doesn't play a very big part. He he plays about as big a role as this as he does in Project Eden. So he just he tags along for that one scene, but that's about it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the other thing. It basically, uh, during the mind fuckery where Kay thinks Yuri's fainted and all that, Moogie kind of goes feral and starts attacking her and all that shit. Anyway, so oh, there he is. Okay, yeah. After the after Kay wakes up for real, um, Yuri has this idea that basically Masuni's doing all this to fuck with them because she wants them to go away. She doesn't want to be found, so they need to take a different approach, which leads into a complete reversal of what we just saw, into just Kay and Yuri screwing around, having fun, <laughs> <laughs> trying to draw her out with fun. So yes, welcome to the jungle. We have fun in games. Um, you know, we see him water skiing, and Missini, you know, just kind of starts using her powers, like make it seem like they're water skiing through space. Kay kind of freaks out. Yuri's like, "This is cool." <laughs> and um, something, something to think about too is um, Return of the Jedi had just come out, and probably came out like in Japan even sooner before this. Mm -hmm. So it, I guess, sci-fi set in jungles was probably. Uh, like really in vogue, yeah. At this point, so. yeah, that's true. That's true. I didn't even think of that. That that's that's a good point. Because Crusher Joe actually, um, the second OVA actually is, is takes place in a in a jungle too. Actually, so oh, that's cool. All right. Um. So, uh, this works. They like make her little stuffed animals, and they get into and like Kay and Yuri always do. They turn it into a competition. Yuri makes a doll. Makes a doll. K makes a stuffed Moogie and is convinced it's better than Yuri's doll. It isn't. Um, <laughs> they have a doll war for some reason. Yep. And uh, you know, and it's just, it's just that they play this game, which is really cool. I really like it. It's like basically, it's like hide and seek, except there's a penalty if you don't find the person. They have this belt with a timer on. It's like three minutes, as I think is what they say, to find the other person and get a card that cancels the timer. If they don't, it's like if a die pack goes off in your face. And I'm like, that's actually a fun little tweak on that. That would actually be a fun game to play. <laughs> you know, Kay's a sore loser, you know, so she sets Yuri up with one that's only like ten seconds long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they both get blasted. Now, it basically smudges it. So, you know, I don't want to use the term blackface because it quite clearly isn't. You know? But no, yeah. but it that's what it kind of looks like, but it's not meant to be. You know, it's just meant to, like, be paint or smudge or, yeah. you know, soot or something. Eventually, Misuni does come out to see them, and they're about to take her home, and then the Fire Nation attacks! Uh, <laughs> the security guards from AJ Development show up. They shoot her. They haul her off. And, you know, they do rescue Kay and Yuri and get him back to the city. And it's just... And basically, it seems like that's the end of the case. Because that's really all they were hired to do, was to find Missini. Because that's what Connie Brighton hired him to do. So they, you know, basically they're told, your case is over. Get off our planet. So they leave. Supposedly. And then we cut to the fact that Samara is working with the president of AJ Development, a guy named Olin, who pretty much, uh, you know, is convinced that everything's fine and dandy. And it turns out Kay and Yuri did not leave the planet. According to the sub, they hired duplicates to fly their ship off planet with Moogie and um, stuck around to do their own investigation. And it turns out 
that what's actually been going on is that, yes, the entire Nolandia jungle and everything in it is a giant genetic experiment because AJ Development, when they first started colonizing the planet, found, like, two million-year-old ruins of an ancient alien civilization underneath the cloud cover and basically started generating, you know, children of the corn, more or less. <laughs> um, kids with massive psychic abilities and all that. Which was also very popular in the 80s. Yep. Akira. Yep. And which is actually kind of interesting because I think this is also the only um, Dirty Pair anime that actually has aliens involved in any capacity. You know? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you could yeah. argue Project Eden, but that's, there's a lot of mad scientist fuckery going on with that. Right. So you're not but entirely yeah. sure on that. But this is like the only thing where there's actual yeah, concrete like... proof that there was, at least, alien civilizations out there. Because largely, this is one of those sci-fi universes where humans are it, you know? Right. Anything not hum non-human is usually some kind of genetic experiment or something like that. Or a robot or what have you. Um, yeah, aside, aside from the aliens, this is pretty much Children of the Corn meets Metal Gear. Yeah. Uh, at, least, at least in terms of the cloning. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so basically, can you reveal what they're doing? Say they're going to arrest Garcia. Enter, you know, the guy who beat the shit out of Connie Brighton at the beginning of the thing. And he's basically the Terminator. I mean, who else could it be? <laughs> He turns out to be a cyborg, and um, Olin makes a run for it. So Kay deals with the cyborg, and Yuri chases after Olin, and that leads into one of the most awesome but ridiculous car chases in any media I've ever seen. Because Yuri calls for a taxi, tries to drive Garcia off the road. The taxi gets wrecked, so she gets out of the thing and activates a pair of rocket skates. <laughs> on her shoes. Well, well, I, mean, I, well, I mean, I think she just stole them. From, I think she just stole them from a store. But no, no, she didn't steal the. Oh, uh, whatever. I don't know. I can't tell. I don't know if they're built into her boots or what. And heads off on the rocket skates. Those eventually run out of power after she. Of course got, they do. Run out of power, so she has to run. Then she steals some poor guy's bike. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the guy was kind of hit, trying to hit on her. Yep. So she grabs the guy's bike, chases after him, and then eventually uh, Garcia escapes into the subway onto a train, and then Yuri's got to chase the train on foot as he's trying to get to the spaceport because he has sample all the genetic samples, so he can just set up and start all over again on some other planet now that the jig is up. And uh, meanwhile, Kay is dealing with the cyborg guy and basically blasting the hell out of him, blowing him up, Blows up a train, blows up a... Well, it's a monorail, actually. Blows up part of a train in the track trying to get this guy. He just keeps coming. And eventually, they both arrive at the spaceport, and that's where Kay finally gets the cyborg taken care of and blows the shit out of him. And Yuri, getting a gun from somewhere, this, this rifle, laser rifle kind of thing, uh, shoots at uh, Olin's personal jet as it takes off manages to blow it up in that usual anime did they miss did they miss no kaboom you know kind of the sword it's kind of that sword cliche but with guns instead if you mm -hmm. follow me yeah and um just before k went off and had to deal with the cyborg however uh in the middle of it samara actually took her to the to this backup lab they have where they've got missany and all a couple of other you know children of the corn in tubes and they're going to wake her up and get her off planet and all that. Well, Missy wakes up like 10 minutes beforehand and she's pissed. <laughs> she is Clearly. pissed. She wakes up all the other children of the corn. They are pissed. And basically, they turn their powers onto the, the plateau itself. The entire plateau is fucking destroyed. The city is gone. Samara's dead. Olin's dead, the cyborg's dead, Kay and Yuri are the only survivors of this. The Everyone whole plateau. Died. Every and... Yep, pretty much. <laughs> Which is where it's like, you know, you get that it's kind of supposed to be funny, but then you think about the implications like, oh dear God, how many people just died? <laughs> they killed everyone. You could say that about any dirty pair, honestly. Yeah, if you think about if you take if you think about it too long, you're like, oh God. 
the body count in the... <laughs> you know, we talk about shit like, you know, Fist of the North Star and some of the other stuff like that with high body counts. It's like, no, I don't think... the, the <laughs> Dirty Bear as a series has a body count literally in the billions. <laughs> Like, they killed everyone. Uh, just another Tuesday. Pretty much. Um, so, yeah, they f- they fly off and, you know, argue over who has to file the paperwork. And that's a fair in Nolandia, basically. Um, it's just, it's weird that this is what they decided to be the first Dirty Bear entry to be. <laughs> How so? How so? Well, now, it's so, like, psychological and just, like, really trippy that... It's it's weird that they wouldn't want to do something simpler. Well, maybe I think maybe it was the go big or go home mentality because you know animators yeah. give animators something really trippy and funky to work on and they'll they'll just run with it. And I guess a lot of this kind of stuff was in vogue at the time because Kira and you know like I said, uh, Return of the Jedi, Blade Runner, like that. that kind of stuff. Blade Runner, yeah. I mean, That's when did when did Bubblegum Crisis come out? Uh, Bubblegum Crisis. Give me just a second. I'm looking it up. You guys vamp for the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's also funny how very little they wear iconic outfits in this. Yeah, they really outfit. only wear it, like, right at the beginning and right at the end during the chase and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bubblegum Crisis, first episode was released in 1987. Okay, so it was after this, actually. Yeah, it was. Uh, well. But, yeah. Um... Overall, yeah, honestly, like I said, for an introduction to Dirty Pair, it might be a little bit different from the TV series when we get to that, when we start on that with the next episode. But overall, I would say this is actually a fairly solid entry into the series. It's not the best. It has a few what-the-hell's-going-on kind of things, no matter, regardless of the translation you're using. But overall, yeah, uh, you could really do a lot worse for your introduction to Dirty Pair than watching this particular um, OVA. Uh, any thoughts from you guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, it's trippy. I, I do think it's cool. I mean, honestly, for as dark as Dirty Pair can get, it, this is kind of unique for the rest of the series. And I, I think that gives it value. Um, I personally would do it how I did, where I'd watch the TV anime first and then watch this, because you're more familiar with the characters that way. And like I said, they're more mature in this than I think they are in the TV anime, so it feels like they've grown since the TV anime, so that's kind of how I saw it. Um, but yeah, uh, I do like it, and I appreciate the them trying to go the extra mile and do something really interesting with uh, with them. And I, I also, this has value because it is the only entry that they use their psychic powers. So there is that too. Yep. So, yeah. All right. And from the outsider's perspective. <laughs> yeah. Like I like this is my real, my first real experience with this. And like, and like I said, I was, I was definitely captivated by it from beginning to end, even if it did get bug nutty in the, in the middle half, but <laughs> like, it, you know, and going by what y'all were saying, that that later entries would are are, are rather lighthearted compared to this, so it does kind of leave me wonder, leave me wondering how that'll how that will stack up tonally against this. But yeah, I de- I, de- I definitely liked what I what I what I saw here. So, um, like someone in your shoes who's never seen it, you think they would probably like it? I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of anime. But, you know. I mean, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I mean, I think from what you're telling me with the TV series, like, I think you might want to like curb your expectations if you're going from this to the TV series. But I think you'll, de- but I mean, if you're if you're if you're just in it for the want '80s want '80s anime destruction, then you'll definitely you're definitely gonna get it with both with this. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, not the best, but fairly solid as an entry. So there's a very low bar to entry for this. Um, so yeah, I would say, are we pretty much unanimous? They should check it out at some point. Yeah. 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 Why not? Whatever. All right. Um, Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap this up? Because we've gone for about an hour here, and I feel like I've talked the most, and we definitely need to work out a a different – we'll figure out the the actual format of the show as we go. Growing pains. It's growing pains. It's growing pains. We're still trying to figure out what we want to do. Believe me, Liam and I have been – pondering this series for a little over a year now 
and we still hadn't yeah. really figured out what we wanted it to be until ultimately I made the executive decision to just do it as a podcast. Yeah. So, and really, my thing was I just didn't want to be the goober making jokes during your explanations and cutting you off. Please, please do. In the in the future, if we have <laughs> I mean, you, ba- if we have you back, please do. <laughs> part of part of the point of this is for people who don't know Dirty Pair to experience Dirty Pair. So. A, no, a lot of your it. input is really important. And we'll make sure. that clear to uh, future guests. And we might have Jake back for another episode yeah. uh, at a later date. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, next time, we will begin the uh, Dirty Pair TV series, uh, which basically does take place on the 3WA's home planet. Uh, in the adventure, we will teach you how to kill a computer. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just have to love... Um, some of the titles translated from Japanese here. I mean, let's let, let me just. I'm just going to go through some of these titles from the TV series. Okay, we'll teach you how to kill a computer. Do lovely angels like chest hair? Uh, one of my favorites. Um, yeah, my Pursuit favorites. has the smell of cheesecake and death. <laughs> cheesecake and death. Um, gotta do it. Love is a woman's detonator. What's this? Our fair skin is getting slimy. <laughs> These really, like really do sound like hentai types. Yeah, they do. <laughs> the pursuit of blues is the BGM of murder. <laughs> <laughs> Too much BGs! Oh my god. Yeah. I am looking forward to um I am looking forward to episode twenty four. Are you serious? The apartment is a dangerous address? Because basically it's them doing a riff on slasher movies. Oh my god. Yeah. But we'll get to those eventually. Um, I'm going to try to do this at least every two weeks, if not weekly. Uh, But until then, uh, this is uh, Aaron Mills uh, with uh, Liam Cunningham, a.k.a. Like the Watcher. Yo. (laughs) Yo. You're just going to repeat it. Okay. (laughs) Jake, any final words for the people out there? And Jake Hammerquist. We, let's just hope that let's, I just hope that this doesn't crash and burn like the end of this like the end of this OVA did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this has been Trouble Consultants: The Life and Times of the Dirty Pair, talking about Affair of Nolandia. Next time, the first episode of the anime TV series, we'll teach you how to kill a computer. Much like probably you know, anytime you download anything from anywhere else. <laughs> Until then, we'll see you folks next time.